0: Hi there! Welcome to the Yoga Show from Yoga Journal, a podcast where we discuss all the creative, practical, and spiritual issues flowing through the yoga community today. I'm your host, Lindsay Tucker, executive editor of Yoga Journal. And in this podcast, we'll be creating four episode series around the themes of each issue of our magazine. The subject of our May June issue is creativity. Can our yogic practices help spark it? Can we use the lessons we learn on the mat to help us finally write that book? Finish that screenplay, paint those portraits, or record Grammy-winning singles? That's the question we set out to answer with today's guest, Tracy Stanley, a yoga and meditation teacher who's been studying yoga and tantra since 1995. She's also a former Hollywood movie producer, known for an eclectic catalog of films such as Heist, The Whole Nine Yards, and Powder Blue. We're excited and honored to have Tracy on the show today.
1: Hello. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you for having me.
0: Hi, thank you so much for being on the show today. How are you?
1: I am uh, hunkered down at my home and, you know, just really riding all of the waves of uh, what's happening in this global pandemic, just like everybody else, I'm sure. How are you? Certainly,
0: certainly been a wild ride. As I mentioned earlier, we're here to talk about creativity today, and you've had quite an interesting career in the movie industry. And in yoga. You started producing films around the same time that you found yoga. I'm curious what it was like to launch into a career in a fast paced and male dominated industry and start your journey towards self enlightenment at once.
1: That's a really great question. So I started my journey um, with yoga. And shortly after that, um, I found myself working as an intern at a very new production company. And it was probably not the path that most people were taking, because I happened to know the person who owned the company, and there were only three of us working in the company. So, um, total three of you. Total. total, right? So we started with three of us, um, and he was a Lebanese American man, and I obviously am a black woman, and. It was interesting because what I noticed first was really that Hollywood was not really interested in accepting anybody who was kind of outside of the norm. Um, and so we had a lot of trouble kind of um, getting scripts and getting material. Um, but for and what me- what year was this? Uh, this was in 1996, actually. So 1996, I was um, actually 95. I worked as an intern for an entire year. Um, my goal at that time was I wanted to learn how to make documentary films and how to get them financed. So I thought that it would be a great idea for me to intern at my friend's company to learn a little bit more about the business and. Um, what I learned was that I actually really loved the creative part of reading a script and starting to visualize what it would be like to actually bring it to screen. So reading has been something that has always been one of my first loves. Um, and to be able to sit down with writers and give them notes and with directors and hear about their vision, I was like, wow, I really want to you know, get more into this. And what wound up happening was I got offered an opportunity um, to work on set. And I remember at the time calling my friend um, Donna Langley, who's now the head of Universal. And she was working, basically doing the same thing that I was doing at New Line. And I called her and I said, I have this opportunity to you know work um on set and i'm not sure if i should take it or not because i kind of really like reading and being in the office and she said this is a great opportunity you should definitely take it work in the production office so you can see what's happening behind the scenes and i did that and what i realized is that the people in the production office are really not getting enough credit because they are the nucleus that really makes the whole film happen But I also learned that that was not what I wanted to do, that I really loved the creative aspect of being in the office and reading scripts and taking creative meetings. So to answer your question about what it was like to be in a male-dominated industry, it was very challenging. But I think because I was always brought up to believe that I could do anything And that I had a right to be in any room, um, that it actually helped me to kind of move beyond feeling as though I didn't have a place or I didn't belong there. And at the same time, you know, as a Black American woman, um, you know, I was always raised that I had to do things almost 150 to 200 percent better than anybody else was going to do in order to get the same opportunities so i was already lucky that i had the opportunity to be working as an intern and i apparently had a good eye for finding material and so what would happen is that we would find these this material my boss wasn't really getting seen or noticed but he had another uh person in his community who was financing movies so we would give them the scripts that we really liked and they would get them made and so after a while there were like three or four different films that got made oh interesting and I was still working as an intern, but then I was asked to work for the brother of the guy that I was working for, who was married to Tia Carrera. And at the time Tia Carrera had just had like Wayne's world come out and they were looking for someone to specifically find projects for Tia and to develop projects for her. So I had a meeting with Tia, we hit it off great. And I started looking for projects for Tia. That was how I kind of started my official career and started getting really paid and acknowledged as somebody who was working in in the business. And after maybe four years or so, we built the company from three people to 60 people. And I worked my way up to being head of development and production. And that was definitely, I would say, I was met with some resistance for sure in you know some of the agency meetings at the very beginning and as the company started to grow there were whispers in you know my boss's ear like oh why don't you hire this guy you know mm-hmm. because that's the person that we're used to seeing in the room and he knew that I was valuable, and I also knew that I was valuable, and so I was able to continue my my career.
0: As you're talking about, you know, getting started in the film industry, I'm just curious, how was that simultaneously working with you with your yoga journey?
1: Well, you know, I was practicing yoga every day. So um, when I first discovered yoga, I found Kundalini yoga. And I was doing kundalini yoga every day at, you know, six o'clock, five days a week. Um, and then on the weekends, and this was before there was like, you know, everybody had a cell phone and people expected you to respond to things immediately. So there was a lot more spaciousness (laughs) around being able to, to practice. Um, but what I would say is that it kept me grounded, um, it kept me focused on what was real. And I think that, you know, as someone who was really young in the business and having a job that people perceived as being important and influential and being able to like green light movies, um, I was also very keenly aware that there were so many people that most of us would look at and say, wow, they have such an amazing house or they have so much money or they have fame and that they were deeply, deeply unhappy. So to me, it was like, okay, wait a second, what's the missing piece here? The missing piece is the fact that there isn't some kind of spiritual practice, some kind of spiritual connection, some kind of looking beyond the fact that you're so identified with having these things and that the fear of having those things taken away at any moment or your movie not being successful or you not getting that role, your happiness is somehow dependent on that. And that was when I, I really saw that very clearly in a number of cases with some big movie stars who then were asking me like, what is it that you do to stay so calm and to stay so positive and to stay so grounded? And it was like well wait a second this person is making 20 million dollars a film Mm -hmm. and they're asking me what uh what it is that i'm doing to stay grounded if this person is asking then that means that the whole world needs this practice um and so from there i decided that i wanted to open a yoga studio and i wanted to open the studio that was accessible to everybody um, and one of my other teachers at that time was Brian Kest, who was running his yoga studio completely on donation. So I decided to open a donation studio basically underneath my apartment that I was living in in West Hollywood um, and try to create something that was welcoming and had a lot of community and was accessible and had diversity in the teachers and the people that worked there, um, which was something that was unique that time um, because there weren't a lot of yoga studios that were owned by women of color. And then um, shortly after that, I would figure out that, oh, I probably should get certified to teach yoga because if there's someone sick, because I actually live right up above the studio, I'm the one that has to go and teach the class. And I started to ask around because I had recently read... Translation of the Yoga Sutras. And when I read that translation of the Yoga Sutras, I realized, wow, I'm not, I don't know that I'm actually practicing the yoga that's going to lead me to the promise of what I'm reading and what I'm absorbing from this. Even though I'm absorbing like, you know, like less than 1% of the wisdom that's in this book, I know there's more to yoga. And I started to ask around to some of um, the elders in my community. Like who could lead me there? And I kept getting the same answer over and over was um, Rod Stryker. And that was a life-changing experience because those practices of Tantra and and yoga and just looking at yoga from a completely different lens and understanding what it really had the power to do and how it had the power to transform was life-changing. And that started me on a path of I wanna share yoga as much as I can. I wanna bring yoga to the sets as much as I can. I wanna br- bring yoga in any way to any of the people that I'm working with in any way that I can. And at the same time, I also wanna have my career because that was the thing that was actually allowing me to be able to take trainings and you know, go to offer yoga for donation.
0: So in early 2000s, how was yoga being received? onset.
1: It was really more breathing techniques that we were doing. And it was really like taking the cr- some of the members of the crew to yoga classes in different towns that we might be going to and practicing yoga or having a tent where we would have a little yoga class in the morning. So it wasn't like we're rolling out yoga mats. It was really like, hey, everybody come sit down. We set up some chairs And we're going to sit together, and we're going to breathe, and we're going to meditate, and we're going to move. So it was a little bit more like chair yoga, (laughs) to be honest. Yeah, but it was really helpful for people. And the more that I was able to kind of sneak that in, um, and obviously the more I started to become a like full producer on on projects, then I was able to bring in you know chiropractors, and I would bring my energy healer to go to movie stars houses and give them sessions before you know we would work together so yeah it, it was i was trying everything i could to infuse what i knew was working for me into my job and my you know connection with other people
0: we'll have more of the yoga show in just a moment but now a word from our sponsors So over your 20-year career, you worked on some darker films like The Experiment and Battlefield Earth. So how did you reconcile producing sometimes violent, fatalistic content with being a yogi?
1: What I would say the answer to that was is, one, we would always try to infuse um, some sort of light into what we were doing. So The Experiment is a really good example So the beginning of that movie is Adrian Brody meditating. And the tattoos that he has on on his body are um, mala beads. And if you see him when he's in the prison, he's actually chanting with the mala that is tattooed on his body. And the key that he uses to escape, which is part of an old necklace that he has has the word abaya which is means fear not right and then Mm. at the end when you know the character is resolved he goes to varanasi he goes to the holiest oldest city in india so we you know the the writer who wrote that his name is paul sharing he's a practicing buddhist he meditates every day we were very clear about the fact that we wanted to infuse part of our spiritual practice in this film. And the film itself is about the Stanford Prison experiments. And so essentially that film is about the microcosm really of what happens when people are oppressed. While it has violence in it, it has a bigger message. And did
0: you find that you were always kind of trying to infuse these messages into your work, or was it more of a bonus when it happened?
1: No. Well, whenever I had whenever I had the ability to do it, I was always doing it. Um, so I would say that you know, not every film was an action movie, mm-hmm. but most of the time, I was trying to either infuse my spirituality or I was trying to convince directors to what we called at that time colorblind casting, which was about just because a a part is written for a white actor doesn't mean it has to be a white actor. Why don't we think about casting a Black actor? Or why don't we think about casting a woman? So I was trying to bring a lot of awareness to everything that I was doing in many different ways, not just my spirituality, but how we were casting and how roles were being written and how people were being portrayed for the most part.
0: And even though it seems like Hollywood has is having a small moment of self-awareness right now with Time's Up movement and Me Too and other things, it seems like there's still a long way to go.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, you can't make any changes until... There are people in the room that are being represented in the film and have a voice to be able to add to the equation. So it was just so happened that I had a voice to add and I was not going to be quiet. So I always made my opinion heard. And many times there were lots of things that were shifted and changed because of it.
0: I'm interested in, given the unique position that you had in the room, what made you ultimately decide to transition out of that career?
1: Um, Well, what I would say is I wanted to have more control over the things that I worked on. And I feel like at the time when I decided to leave and go on my own, the films that I was pitching were before their time and that's not to say that from an an egotistical place at all um but you know so in 2011 i was pitching you know a tv show about a medical intuit and you know Mm -hmm. we were talking about doing reality television around the idea of people going to different spiritual leaders and doing different spiritual practices and coming together to see how they all relate to one another so there were lots of different things that um, you know there wasn't that one person in the room that got it and at some point i started to see a change also in the way films were being made and projects were being made, which meant that there needed to be a lot more people involved, a lot more entities involved in order to finance a film. Um, And what that meant to me was that there was a lot less control over content, a lot less control over the end product. And I felt like I had a mission and I needed to align myself with people who were all together. And that's very hard to do when you have Six or seven different entities trying to create a project. Everybody wants to have a voice.
0: And something that you and I have talked a little bit about is the idea of dimming your light for other people to have their light mm-hmm. shine. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that and and what that realization was for you and how it how it's affected you and sort of played out?
1: Wow. Well, that is a we could talk for hours about that. <laughs> but what I would say is that. At some point in my yoga journey, um, I did the process of The Four Desires with Rod Striker, And it helped to illuminate this limiting belief that I had about the fact that it was actually safer for me to stay small and to dim my light because it was safer for me not to be big and not to share. Where do
0: you think that idea came from? that it was safer to be small. Cause I do think that a lot of us, especially women feel that way.
1: Well, I can tell you for sure that it comes from childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the message that I got when I was younger was, you know, it's better for you to be quiet, for you to not be seen and not be, you know, not express your opinion too much in the house. My parents were very strict. So mm-hmm. It, it makes sense, right? That yes, if you are small, it's going to be a lot safer for you to get along and to do what needs to be done rather than be big. And so I believe that the first time that I got not, well, the first time that I did is a good time for a good thing for me to mention is that when I was in high school, so I skipped a grade, I went to kindergarten early. And then I skipped kindergarten and went directly to second grade. So, and that's only because I could read. Right. But when I got to seventh grade, I was much younger than all the other kids and not as mature. And the school had basically chosen all of the people that they thought were, you know, the Quote unquote best artist, right? What, whatever that means, the people who could draw. And I was chosen as one of those people. And we went to college on the weekend for a college course, to, a drawing course, oh. and it was a live drawing course. And so there were five of us, and we carpooled with our parents and we, you know, did the live drawing. And on the second t- weekend, my dad finally looked at the live drawing, which was a drawing of a nude man. Oh. And he was like, you are not, this, you're not going back. That's it. You're done. So on the one hand at that time, I did not realize that that was the reason why, right? Later in life, I realized that, oh, he was probably horrified at the fact that this, you know, child of his who has been sheltered and not allowed out to yeah. go anywhere is drawing <laughs> is a naked man, right? Um, and so, however, I fuse that moment of what happened and the story that I created around it, it was really about me. Not being safe to show the world what I could do. The drawing itself was actually really good, but the reaction—you felt
0: like you'd done something wrong. I
1: did something wrong. Something was okay. wrong, and I needed to hide. I needed to hide, right? Yeah. I needed to hide mm-hmm. all of the gifts, but I had the gifts, and so, uh, you know, from this belief system, I actually really thrived in a career where I could take all of my gifts and my creativity and I could channel it into someone else's project, into someone else's dream. Uh, That uh thought kind of, you know, rippled through not only my work, but it rippled through into relationships right? It's not like that thought just decides to stop when you start looking for a a mate. It's basically like, oh, I'm going to look for a mate and maybe this person, I can make them feel better about themselves by shining their light and I'll dim my light so they feel better about themselves.
0: When did you find that you were able to wake up and, and how did that
1: happen? Well, once I realized that I had the construct Uh, uh, or what we would call um, in the work of the four desires of Vikalpa around it being safe for me to be small, then I started to see it everywhere I went. I was like, oh, look at how I created this little thing over here so that I could be small. And I created Mm -hmm. this over here and oh, and this over here. And now I have to start to be brave enough to start to unwind all of them.
0: Let's take a quick break for these messages. So for anyone who's struggling now, it seems like keeping coming back to the practice, even if it's almost a little bit of faking till you make it, do you see the value in that?
1: Yeah, we have to be consistent. We have to be consistent. I think the thing that we need to to maybe reframe for ourselves is what does practice mean, right? Because I think a lot of times we think, oh, well, if I can't practice for 90 minutes, if I can't practice for an hour then that means that i should just not bother well what if you were just consistent with 3 minutes of meditation in the morning 3 minutes of meditation in, at 12 noon and 3 minutes before you go to sleep what if it was 1 minute as long as you're consistent as long as you are you know entering into your practice with some sort of reverence and devotion and love not only for yourself first but for something maybe greater than yourself, for your Mm -hmm. family, um, that's enough. So the answer, as far as I'm concerned, is yes, is keep practicing and, and let go of this idea that you have to be doing a practice that looks a certain way. And that is for a certain amount of time.
0: And speaking of practices, just to circle it back to creativity, are there any specific yoga practices that you would recommend for listeners to employ to help them get in the right headspace for creating?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that there are a few things to do. I think one would be really dropping into a self-inquiry practice and asking yourself, what does it mean to you to create? So if you look at the etymology of the word create, it means to form out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And it relates to this idea that there's something divine or supernatural happening because you're forming something out of nothing that doesn't rely on there being any material or any other elements present. So I would ask myself, what does creativity or what does it mean to create and who is the one that is doing the creating, you know, asking those questions of yourself. And then also how are you creating? Like what are your, what are your tools that you're going to use? What do you feel most comfortable with as your creative tools and start to gather those creative tools. And then asking yourself the question, when should I create? So for me personally, I know that I have a specific period of time during the day where I have my creative flow. My creative flow starts at least two hours before the sun rises and it ends right about 1130 or 12 o'clock. So when I schedule my day, I don't schedule my day for anything to happen before 11.30 or so, because I know that if I'm working on a creative project, that that's my creativity zone, that's my creative cave. And I don't want anything to disrupt that cave. So knowing when your creative flow time is, is really important.
0: I guess I'm looking for a little bit specifically, how do we incorporate the, our practices and and marry them with our creative goals
1: well self-inquiry is a practice self-inquiry is one of the most profound um practices of yoga it mm-hmm. leads us to the to swadhyaya. it's it's the self-study it leads us to to self-remembrance so we have to we have to do these ask these questions of ourselves You know the the greatest question that you can ask is who am i right but because Mm -hmm. we have so much happening in the mind we need to ask other questions before we can get there so the way that i would do that is i would just simply get very quiet and just watch the breath
0: Mm.
1: and then ask yourself the question who is the one that's creating being in the flow like waking up in the morning And just tuning in and saying, is this, do I feel inspired, more inspired in the morning? And maybe this is my creative time. So let me go and experiment, like to do a creative project right now. Other ways in which you can do that is you can practice, do practices like yoga nidra um, Mm -hmm. that bring you really into a very deep state of relaxation and move you closer to what I like to think about as a creative void and really have all of your tools and all of your journals and your pens or your paints right by your side. So when you're done with your yoga nidra practice, you literally just roll over and start painting, writing, doing whatever it is so that you're coming from a clear and connected place when you Are ready to do your creativity,
0: and let's quickly bring the listener up to speed on your relationship with yoga nidra. You have a book coming out.
1: Yeah, so yoga nidra is a is a practice that I was introduced to in two thousand and one. It was not named to me. It, It was just a practice that we were doing, kind of a satsang, and there was a meditation, and then it was with Rod Striker actually and he asked us to lay down. We lay down, we did this practice. And I was like, wow, I've never ever felt this level of bliss and peace and calm and just something otherworldly that I can't really put into words mm-hmm. happened. And I knew that it was special. And it was one of those things where you know, he would he would teach and he would never let students just kind of hang out in Shavasana. He would always do some sort of guided relaxation at the end. And that was like the, the part of the practice that you couldn't wait for. And I started to learn a little bit more about it and do more classes and more training and really kind of came up with the thought that this is, and I say this all the time, that this is a healing salve for the world because it's so accessible, because it allows you to experience deep rest, because you can find a place of inspiration and truth within the practice that also leads to creativity. And it really leads to a place of inner knowing. So yoga nidra is a practice that is done lying down it's translated many times as the yoga of sleep, but it's sleep with a slight trace of awareness. So you're actually using this practice to wake up to your life. So we talked about this idea of like waking up to this idea, this thought that, oh, I have to be small in order to be safe. Mm. This type of practice can help you to illuminate some of these things very quickly. It's also a place that many people use for planting sankalpas or resolves in order to, you know, basically reprogram yourself. So it's a really powerful practice. Um, And if you're a creative person, I highly recommend practicing yoga nidra because you're really going into a deep place where everything exists and nothing exists at the same time. And that's really where creativity is born from. Highly recommended for people who are um, wanting to do creative projects. It's how I wrote my book. And if I felt like I was getting into a, a writer block of any kind, I would chant and then I would go ahead and do yoga nidra. And then I would start writing again. And I've given that tip to a number of friends that I have who are currently writing books. And they send me emails saying, oh my God, this is like a next level. I can't believe I didn't think of doing this before. Um, my writing has changed because of it because Mm. you're writing from a deep, authentic knowing as opposed to from the head, right? Mm -hmm. It's like sometimes we're writing from the head that we're thinking. And for me, I felt like I was very connected by doing my practice in that way and infusing my writing with my practice at the same time.
0: For the uninitiated, how do you practice yoga nidra?
1: The best way for you to start practicing Yoga Nidra is by listening to a recording. So listen, you know, find a, a Yoga Nidra that you like, teacher that you like, that you trust, that you feel safe with. Um, a lot of times you can you can feel that maybe even by the vibration of the voice, even if you find one online that you're you don't actually know the person, but find a Yoga Nidra practice that you really love. And practice it and do it consistently. It's a, um, the best way to start with it is to be guided. Do self-inquiry right after. You know, spend three or four minutes um, doing some free writing. Writing as fast as you can without worrying about grammar or spelling or, you know, sentence structure. Just Mm -hmm. write. Um, Because a lot of times we get inspirations in our practice and we forget them. because we get up and then we get on the phone or we get on the computer and we forget all the wisdom that gets downloaded. So this is a really beautiful way for us not only to ground, but to process feelings, process emotions, and to really hold on to the nuggets of wisdom that we're gifted with in in the deep practices. What we're really teaching is deep relaxation. And yoga nidra itself is a state of consciousness. And so we're moving towards this state of consciousness that moves us towards that place of the void. And at the same time, um, Yoga Nidra is also a goddess. So we can think about the idea of that when we lay down to do this beautiful practice, we're going to meet and be held by this goddess who is super nurturing and supportive and beautiful and has only our best intentions. And at her own heart, she wants us to sleep deeply so that we can thrive.
0: I think we could all use a little extra nurturing right now. Um, You and I are meeting virtually at a time when the world is in crisis. And I think a lot of people feel overwhelmed and anxious. And I think a lot of people right now are feeling this pressure to be creative or be productive in a time where it appears like we have time off, but we know that's not really the case. Um, so what are, would you say to someone who's just feeling the pressure to be creative right now?
1: Well, what I would say is that it's very difficult to be creative or productive if you're not rested. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we try to skip the step of resting, right? Mm-hmm. we were like, oh, I don't have time to rest. I have to get this thing done. I want to like pump out my new online course. Or I want to pump out my new whatever it is. So giving yourself permission to rest, give yourself permission to practice yoga nidra, which brings about a rested quality, right? Or literally just taking a nap. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that I think, what does productivity mean? Right? It's like, what does it really mean? We can all Mm -hmm. be productive, but what is the end result of that? if you're not rested, if you're not clear, if you're not inspired, whatever you produce is not going to be of good quality. Absolutely. So why not focus on the things that are going to allow you to be rested, to be inspired, like taking walks in nature, if you can, watching an inspiring film, if you can, you know, talking to an inspiring friend, listening to, you know, a podcast that's inspiring, reading something that's inspiring, resting, sleeping, practicing yoga nidra, meditating, getting into your body, dancing, right? Yeah, Those are all the things that allow you to have what you need to, to create something beautiful, meaningful, and authentic to yourself. So producing just for the sake of producing is a waste of Shakti. It's a waste of energy. If you're, if you're going through these self-inquiry questions, why are you creating is a good question because if it's, oh, I'm only creating because I see my friend over on Instagram putting out her thing and I feel like, oh, I'm missing out or I'm, I'm behind the times if I don't like get it done, that's not a good reason. A good Mm -hmm. reason to create is because I'm inspired.
0: And would you be willing to send us off with a mantra or an affirmation that we can take out into our day, week, months, Mm. as we continue to navigate this life?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I would say that one that I would give right now is that I am a creative being. And it is my birthright to express my creativity and all its uniqueness without fear.
0: Well, Tracy, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been such a pleasure to meet you. And like I said, I hope we can meet um, out there in the real world soon. Thank you
1: so much, Lindsay. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad I got to see your beautiful face on Zoom here. And Mm -hmm. I look forward to giving you a real life uh, greeting and hopefully hug uh, very soon. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. And thanks again to Tracy for taking the time to sit down with us today. For more from her, check out tracyyoga.com. That's T-R-A-C-E-E yoga.com. Continue the conversation at Yoga Show Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Leave a rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow me on Instagram at linds.tucker, that's linds with a D, for behind-the-scenes looks at what's happening at Yoga Journal and beyond. If you're interested in studying with Tracy, we have some good news. Tracy will be leading an online meditation teacher training with Yoga Journal next month. The course will explore tantric tools and techniques to empower your life and practice, and teach you how to help your own students find clarity and ease during these difficult times. The four-week training begins June 3rd and is limited to 125 students, so don't wait. Learn more at yogajournal.com meditationtraining meditation training. The Yoga Show is produced by me, Lindsay Tucker, and Aviv Rubenstein find him on Twitter and Instagram at Rambo Calrissian. Theme music by Katie Canavan. Get more from her on Instagram at Accordion to Katie. So tune in next time for more from The Yoga Show. Until then, this is Lindsay Tucker. We'll see you on the mat.